0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: A warm welcome to Scorebox this Tuesday morning. Arabina Gamayne, Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick, are your anchors and these are your headlines. China's central bank slashing its benchmark mortgage rate in its biggest move ever as authorities look to shore up the country's embattled property sector.
0: Warren Buffett's backed Capital One, striking a $35 billion deal to buy U.S. credit card issuer Discover Financial in the largest acquisition so far this year.
2: Buyer slashes its dividend by 95 percent to the minimum legal level as the German giant looks to cut its debt, with CEO Bill Anderson saying the decision was not taken lightly. The world's largest listed miner BHP cuts its dividend after posting a sharp fall in its first half net profit on the back of volatility in commodity prices.
1: And China preparing to debut its 1st homegrown passenger jet. We've talked about it for many years, haven't we? Well, they're going to debut it at the Singapore Air Show as IATA Director General Willie Walsh tells CNBC there are areas of concern for the sector. The
3: supply chain issues
1: have been there now for a couple of years. Uh, They are slightly improving, but uh, there are still some significant issues that will need to be overcome, which will continue through 2024, 2025. No, suddenly the penny dropped for me. Uh, good morning, by the way, good how morning. are you? I'm <laughs> the, wondering
2: what the penny what,
1: is. What the, no, it's just because I was reading, listening to the headlines and I, I, mm. I, I look at my own headlines, I make sure I'm happy with them, and as usual, Katie and I say, well, let's hone it this way. But then I didn't look at your headlines. Because mm. I just thought, oh, I'll do those later if On we the do. On the divvies, it. the two divvies. And do you know that, well, one thing really struck me from the, your second headline and my first headline. I'm going to do it again. This is for you, you lot out there. China's central bank slashes its mortgage rate. Okay, admittedly, it's only a uh, five-year time horizon for slashing, but by the most ever, okay? That's the first headline. The fourth headline, BHP, the world's largest miner, cutting its dividend after posting a sharp fallback in net profit. Now, let's just walk back a little bit, and this is what we do on this show as well. Let's extrapolate. You've got the world's biggest miner. Well, the world's most voracious client is, and has been this century.
2: China. China. Mm -hmm.
1: And those two are so symmetrical. And if we were seeing, like so many experts are trying to tell us, a a line in the sand on the downtick in the Chinese economy, a recovery for that Chinese economy, if we were seeing that from here, you would not see... That headline we've just seen from BHP Billiton. I, I think that's really intuitive and I think it's really Im- incumbent upon us to just draw out these two separate stories and say they are so related.
2: Yeah, something buried in the numbers around BHP that was interesting too, yeah. saying that they were bullish on India. So yeah. as we talk yep. about the, some of the difficulties around the inventory Absolutely. story and in iron ore prices and China, given the uh, property issues that we've witnessed sure. and the economic story... India standing out as a beacon I get for that. BHP. I
1: doubt, though, that China can be supplanted in terms of the demand story. Because, because the India recovery, the India growth story is based on so many different things from the Chinese. You know, they, they're both great economies, but the Indian one has sustainability for different reasons for why China is under pressure at the moment, isn't it?
2: Here's the line. It has considerable positive momentum behind it. So those bullish comments.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Um, right, OK, let's move on and get to uh, filling in some of the stories for you. China's central bank has cut its five-year loan prime rate by 25 basis points, 3.95%, its biggest cut on record. Now, it's the latest move by authorities to shore up the country's troubled property sector, with the majority of lenders pegging mortgages to the benchmark mortgages see where's the demand even at these levels interesting the pboc left its one year rate though unchanged at 3.45 percent quick look at these asian markets what's it doing to the shanghai composite absolutely nothing well that on the surface but let's get the details the important details sam joins us in singapore with more sam you heard me pontificating absolutely fantastic uh, to uh, have you to talk us through these stories
4: very good morning to you, Stephen. Let's start with the market reaction because initially we saw a negative response as far as equities were concerned because, of course, this decision coming out 15 minutes before the market open this morning, that raises a lot of questions in terms of failing to inspire investors today. They don't seem to convince. Does that mean that investors are looking for more from policymakers right now? Because one guest we had on this morning suggested that while This is a very strong signal to the market. Perhaps if they wanted to move the needle, perhaps they should have gone 50 basis points. 25 basis points was already a surprise by the PBOC. The market was only looking for 15 today, so just a trim. Uh, So this was really bigger than expected. And as you say, it was a historic 25 basis points, the biggest we've ever seen. So this was a record. The other question it raises is uh, perhaps are investors now uh, looking for this cut to actually bear fruit, to see the impact? the transmission from this. We probably won't see it straight away given that while this cut, uh, it takes effect immediately, those that benefit from it won't actually uh, until perhaps next year because those uh, price prices are actually changed every year. The other question it raises is um, perhaps are they not convinced that this will go far enough as far as uh, picking up demand and boosting some of that confidence because the problem isn't that uh, consumers over in China don't have any money, it's that they don't have any confidence right now in, in the economy. So, uh, we have spoken to a number of uh, analysts today throughout the program who have said that the other signal that this sends is that uh, this does highlight the health of the banks because there have been a lot of concerns around pressure on NIMS. But of course, we have recently seen that triple R cut and also those cuts to the deposit rate. So, that acts as a bit of a buffer uh, and perhaps provided a bit of uh, comfort to, to the PBOC. So, we did see actually investors piling into uh, banking stocks today. So uh, that was uh, the outperformer in what was otherwise a a down market. Uh, The one year, uh, as you mentioned, was kept steady as widely expected, but uh, I think the next focus is very much turning to the NPC now. Uh, The two sessions coming up in a couple of weeks' time, those government meetings in Beijing for uh, clearer policy signals uh, for the property sector. Guys, back to you
2: in London. Sam, just a quick follow-up. Why the five-year LPR in particular? Why target that? And how quickly do the changes follow through to the consumer?
4: As I mentioned, Karen, this takes effect immediately, but they don't benefit from this straight away because uh, those references, those prices, are actually uh, actually set every year. So uh, those that set to benefit from those lowered mortgage rates probably won't feel it until 2025. Um, but what it is signalling to the market is a strong indication of an appetite, a desire now to continue to help the property sector um, by actually cutting what is. a a mortgage rate, uh, reference rate. So uh, that is basically what the market is taking away from this, is that uh, they are continuing to support the property sector, which has been the main culprit in terms of the drag uh, on the economy. But if you look at some of the other uh, market commentary around today, uh, while they do believe this sends a very strong signal, uh, investors are still very much waiting um, for more fiscal stimulus and particularly uh, some more targeted measures at the consumer because um, you can cut interest rates as much as you like. This is certainly the view as far as analysts that we've spoken to today, uh, but that doesn't mean that these consumers are going to go out and uh, take out loans and and spend their money because they are wanting guarantees of long-term income expectations uh, so that they're not putting money away uh, and saving it for a rainy day. So as I said, uh, very much the consensus in the market now amongst economists we've been speaking to uh, is that they are now waiting for more signals, more clarity uh, from those government meetings in Beijing as to how they intend to uh, steer the economy, particularly addressing uh, the struggling housing sector right now. We have seen, certainly on the supply side, they've come out with this white list. There seems to be a lot of attention and focus on the, on the property sector right now. But uh, as far as the market is concerned, uh, it's failed to go far enough to bring back some of that confidence. Back to you guys.
1: Great summary, Sam. Thank you very much indeed for your coverage and taking our question. I, th- I thought you're lying about um, it's not that they don't have money, it's just they don't want to spend it from the consumer. I thought that was actually pivotal. Thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, and herein lies the problem. The, the the When central bankers around the world were terrified over the last few years, all right, I, I turned to Erbilia, but he's not with us yet. You're not with us, that's the next segment. Uh, <laughs> you're not with us, just go as you were. Disappear. As you were. Just a two shot. Right. Um, Director, thank you, Uh, as you were. Uh, But but, but the the, the fact of the matter is central bankers in the West were terrified about deflation a couple of years ago because if you're a consumer, think about your psychology. I'm going to buy today on an an item which is discretionary. No, I'm not going to buy it today. I'm going to wait because I think it's going to get cheaper. That is the great fear. It means savers hang on to their savings as well. And because, of course, they're not getting an interest rate on the savings, they need more of those savings to get the same bang for their buck. So you've got two things going on here, the lack of spending and the concern about the, the erosion of that saving as well. So when Chinese consumer prices fell at their fastest annual rate two weeks ago on the 8th of February in 15 years, missing forecast again. This is a real headache for the Chinese authorities as well. So how do they get out of this conundrum, quandary as well. I was going to say mess, but there's other good things going on in the Chinese economy. So it's a conundrum. Do they target the consumer with uh, allowing the consumer to have more debt, which again is something that President Xi hasn't previously wanted to do. He's worried about that. And obviously their own fiscal balance sheet, the concern about the debts there. Or do they target the global economy again and putting their goods out there as well? Or do they do both? They probably try both. And on the latter point as well, the top red story in the Financial Times over the last 24 hours is this. And I think this is again another potential problem. The U.S. warns China against dumping goods on global markets. Western governments fear Beijing may try to ease domestic overcapacity with cheap exports as well. There's a lot going on here and it looks very problematic.
2: Just to rewind to where we were before the Chinese Lunar New Year holiday, don't forget the markets are a balance. You had a lot of Team China buying assets trying to support the market after we had that plunge again from a fairly low base on the stock market. And the big question was, well, people come back from this long break. What happens next? Have we seen enough from authorities to shore up support for the market the reality is we hadn't so we get this very big announcement today it's a shot across the bow the biggest move that you've had in the mortgage rate in years so i think it's very strong a signal from authorities that they're very keen to tackle the property market because as you point out animal spirits do stem from the property market and if consumption is going to be impacted we go into this deflationary cycle it is bad for the economy so I think we've had these measures today sending a very strong message I want to just push on to uh, another big story and this is around deal making the US consumer bank Capital One has announced plans to buy credit card issuer discover financial services in a deal worth just over 35 billion dollars If approved, shareholders of the Warren Buffett-backed lender would own 60% of the combined company, while Discover stakeholders would own the rest. The deal could create the sixth largest U.S. lender by assets and could allow both companies to take on the likes of J.P. Morgan and Citigroup. So again, further consolidation in consumer assets. At this point, Arabile joins us with more on this.
0: yeah, I am. Just, I miraculously just appeared out of nowhere. Because you weren't here for the last <laughs> chat. I wasn't here for that, no. I, I didn't hear a word you guys said no. about China, which... We could discuss, of course, but indeed, this Capital One and discover financial uh, merger a thirty five point three billion dollar all stock deal then to create a big global uh, payments giant, then one of the biggest deals, really since the two thousand and eight financial crisis, certainly this year, right, beating out that uh, synopsis and uh... uh merge of around thirty four uh, billion dollars then uh, that was announced in january we 're talking about two storied consumer finance brands right that will surpass J.P. Morgan and Citigroup just by US credit card loan volumes then, um, according to uh, Bloomberg Intelligence. Now, Capital One and Discover are two of the biggest credit card lenders as well in uh, the United States. And Capital One Financial is, as we've noted, Warren Buffett-backed, while Discover Financial Services uh, is actually competition to Visa and MasterCard. But one must say, though, specifically, that it is smaller than those two rivals. But this will be quite significant as a play within the banking sector overall. The potential deal comes, though, as U.S. regulators are actually leaning on this industry. They're planning to reform uh, quite heavily uh, bank merger rules in order to try and boost, one, transparency, and on the other side, increase the scrutiny of these deals. So it could mean that this deal has a lot to actually account for and it could be under the eye quite significantly then there's a focus that could be on company positions in the credit card issuer market and how this con- uh, um, affects competition uh, overall so while it is a big deal it's going to be quite significant
2: one for a big debt monitor around the desk that would be you, Steve. credit card balances in that final quarter increased by 50 billion dollars to 1.13 yeah. trillion over the quarter well,
1: absolutely yeah L- let's make it 3d revolving credits gone through the roof as well the rates have gone through the roof delinquencies yet there are but they haven't gone through the roof as well. So I think it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating what's going on.
2: Sure up the balance sheet so you've got more firepower in this uh, point point in the cycle. Arabile, thank you very much. Coming up on the show, tough times for buyer as the German giant slashes its dividend to the legal minimum in a bid to tackle its debt pile. Plus, we'll bring you the latest from the Singapore Air Show as it returns for its ninth edition. Don't miss our coverage and conversations with the industry's top players. And earnings season is still well underway in Europe. We're going to be speaking to IHG Hotels and Resorts CEO Eli Amelouf as the company posts its four year earnings.
1: Welcome back. Germany's central bank says the country is likely in recession. The Bundesbank said the country's economic contraction would continue through the first quarter amid weaker consumer demand and uncertainty over government policy. This after Germany notched its worst performance of any major economy in 2023, shrinking in the final quarter, as well as the year as a whole. Well, the Eurostox 600, though, Took it on the chin, no problem. Closed at a two-year high on Monday for its uh, third highest close in its history. Uh, The pan-European index was bolstered by healthcare stocks, with AstraZeneca leading the charge. The pharmaceutical giant also saw its uh, cancer drug at Tagriso approved by the FDA for treatment of a certain type of lung cancer in combination with chemotherapy. Well, Carolyn spoke with Greg Rossi, AstraZeneca's senior vice president of oncology in Europe and Canada, and asked him, with shares low over the last 12 months, what investors were missing in the company's pipeline.
3: I think there's a lot of expectation because we've really delivered over the last sort of five years uh, plus with a remarkable, I think, transformation in oncology across multiple different uh, settings, whether it's in lung cancer, but also in breast cancer, increasingly in GI malignancies, such as hepatocellular carcinoma, um, and of course, in gynecologic malignancies uh, where limpaza has used. So I think there's a high degree of expectation. Again, I would say that our strategy is delivering, I think, across all of these areas, we're seeing really, I think, uh, important uh, uh, new trials coming through. Um, we initiated another 27 trials uh, last year in, um, uh, uh, for AstraZeneca. So I think it shows the investment we're making. And I think that we are very encouraged by the, uh, the data that we've seen across the portfolio.
2: Uh, Greg, can we step away from oncology for a moment? Bear with me here. I know that you're in charge of cancer, but I do wonder with, you know, Anti-obesity drugs being all the rage and so much R&D spending going into that and your CEO also making a big bet on that uh, following the announcement that we saw in the month of November. Do you feel that the cancer business isn't getting the dollars and the pounds and the love that it should be getting?
3: So I think that uh, our uh, CEO, Pascal Sorio, has uh, demonstrated a lot of love for uh, for cancer. And we certainly have the, a lot of investment coming into cancer. And I think we continue to t- see that uh, with the portfolio and the, the studies that I just uh, mentioned. Uh, but I'm really excited, actually, to see the rest of the portfolio also getting the investment we're seeing. I think the uh, in the CV metabolism area, in the respiratory area, in the, in the, the vaccine and infection area, um, it really is... I think a transformation for the organization where you see so many of these therapy areas really getting the investment and now starting to see the commercial uh, impact and patient impact across the globe. And for more on
1: Carolyn's interview with AstraZeneca's Greg Rossi, check out CNBC.com. Karen, this farmer story uh, around Bayer, you're you're fascinated. Yeah,
2: and just talking about expectations, you expect a payout from a company, your expectations are set, and then there is uh, disappointment. And just take a listen to this. A German farmer and crop sciences group Bayer will cut its dividend by 95% in the bid to bring down its debt, 95% cut. So it paid out... €240 Euros in 2022. It's adjusted that to just €0.11 euro cents for 2023. The market was expecting €192, Euros, so quite a significant reset here. All this as uh, buyers been facing enormous challenges since its $63 billion takeover of U.S. crop sciences group Monsanto in 2016 it was meant to create a, a large food giant instead, settling it with debt, but also these legal issues as well. The firm will be paying a dividend, as I mentioned, of just 11 cents a share for 2023. That is a significant reset. The company as well having a problem with a blockbuster drug. And uh, the CEO, Bill Anderson, effectively saying this decision not taken lightly, they've considered investing input. He also put into context that the company was effectively uh, pulling in, what, 50 billion euros in revenue but had zero cash flow, saying that was simply not acceptable. And you crunch the numbers on that, it does not look great. That was uh, back in November. Next port of for investors will be early next month, 5th of March. Strategic plan will be reviewed as the company is also expected to post a net loss of 3.6 billion euros for last year.
1: Yeah, but, but this is a very... Um It's impossible for the company to get past the Roundup um, conundrum until all the uh, litigation is over. And I can't see any end to that for a very long time. The latest court decision um, in the uh, Philadelphia Court of Common Pleas was staggeringly bad for Bayer. Let me just read the NBC copy of this. A Pennsylvania man who said Bayer's Roundup weed killer caused his cancer was awarded... 2.25 billion dollars by a philadelphia jury john mckivison 49 was diagnosed with non-hodgkin's lymphoma after using roundup on his property for 20 years now that's devastating amount of money It's devastating for the gentleman in case for for a start of all for the personal story for all those people who believe (coughs) that roundup has carcinogens which cause their cancer it is devastating so let's just Get that out there first, and that's the most important thing. But but the amount of money which this um, court in Philadelphia gave to this individual, if you extrapolate that for all the cases going out there at the moment, it's it's a it's it's game over for buyer. So obviously they're fighting in the courts to change the amount of money and the punitive damage as well. But but this is very, very difficult for shareholders to look beyond. Very often when we looked at tobacco uh, litigation uh, and cases over the years, you could say that was a one-off or that's not gonna create a tsunami of other um, litigation as well. And the tobacco companies got through this. How buyer gets through this in the short term it is proving very difficult for shareholders. And as you can see, uh, 57% lower over the last five years. It is very difficult to say oh, buyer oh, is passed the worst of this.
2: I sat through a, a building products case once uh, and went to trial class actions. It's enormously difficult for a company to get past that, but you do need a source of revenue. And I think that's where it was disappointing recently for the company that there was a late-stage trial of a blood thinner drug that was disappointing for the company as well. So th- the fact that they haven't got that firing in all cylinders either, so real disappointment.
1: <coughs> yeah, I mean, it should say, i should say as well that, that every bit of legislation is is is, is um also uh, predominated also by the fact that there is a big appeals situation going on as well in the u.s court so that 2.25 billion we don't think is necessarily the end of it because they're going to go to appeal on that
2: yeah it's just the uncertainty that lingers for investors yep. and let's push on the swiss banking software group temenos is forecasting a slowdown in earnings in 2024 predicting annual revenue growth of around 15 percent the outlook comes after shares were down by nearly a third of their value last week, following a scathing report by Hindenburg Research, which took a short position on the stock. BHP Group has just beaten on its underlying profit forecast for the first half, coming in at $6.6 billion. The mining firm dialed back its dividend but said it was cautiously optimistic on a demand recovery, last week, BHP wrote down the value of its nickel operations and set aside more cash to cover costs associated with the 2015 Samarco disaster. Arabile has more. Arabile, the dividend better than expectations, even though it's a cut. The other point here is that the nickel industry is reeling from some of the EV challenges we've seen, lower demand, but also uh, the subsidies we've seen out of the the Chinese market that's been a huge amount of battery production. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's that's a big part of the story, but let's Remember that iron ore is actually a big part of the business for for them. But, of course, they did focus quite significantly on their Nickel West operations. Um, uh, Did BHP, of course, they had flagged already that they expect to have a $2.5 billion uh, impairment against the carrying value then of their Nickel West operations, their business in Western Australia. And, in fact, government actually put forward... Few interventions when it comes to the nickel operations in uh, Australia, especially and around the world. Uh, they they'd hoped that the supply glut that they're seeing, specifically out of Indonesia wouldn't continue to be at play, but the CEO himself, uh, Mike Henry, saying that he expects nickel demand to remain healthy, specifically driven by EV demand, but it will take time for supply as well as demand to recalibrate. He also did stress that, yes, nickel is a small part of the business division and so other resources like copper and iron ore sector pushing as their growth drivers. But the government interventions just with regards to the nickel industry then in Australia, well, they've offered production tax credits. They've offered royalty relief plus a potential non-recourse loans, a set of potential non-recourse loans and grants within the industry. Um, But BHP says that may not be enough because this pressure, the supply glut may actually last for quite some time and that may be significant to their operations they are considering and reviewing whether to suspend operations um overall at nickel west but as we said for the overall numbers then underlying profit six point six billion pretty much flat when compared to uh, around a year ago at this stage the dividend payout of seventy two dollars uh... seventy two cents a share should i say better than expected even though it's a drop of twenty cents
1: as far as i'm concerned all the numbers are backward looking. All that matters now is the demand going forward. Yep. I think that's what the analysts are looking at. So, yeah, Okay, they, you know, that was better. That was worse. What I really care is about what's going on in China. Let's be brutally honest yep. about it. So I've just dug deep into the, this statement. There's 69 pages there. So I've just gone into it. China has been volatile uh, since the um, zero uh, COVID policy was um, eased in December 2022. So, you know, we're already a year and a bit away from that, so it's been volatile. However, weakness continued in the steel-intensive real estate sector and non-steel exports, and overall corporate profitability has been challenged. Throughout the year, authorities have acknowledged that additional policies will be needed to support China's economic recovery. So just straight away again, that's back into our top headline again. Mm -hmm. They are saying it, they've gone straight into, yeah, it's challenged and profitability is a real problem, And, and actually what we really need is more policy support.
2: Yeah, I wanna pick up on this idea of what sort of support you can get from government at a point now where we think about resources somewhat differently. And for me, the story around nickel out of Australia is unusual because if you think about the last major story we covered out of Australia around resources and government intervention, it was about taxing the super profits on these resources companies, not about propping them up. And this is fascinating because nickel on the critical minerals list for the Australians, don't forget the Europeans have been looking at something similar. What are critical resources of the future? And the intervention you've seen here is around financing so that nickel companies have access to cheap loans, but also about uh, cutting the the 50% royalty rebate for 18 months. So these are targeted measures from a state and also from a federal government perspective. I think that is fascinating that they're willing to intervene to shore. Support because in the past it would have meant consolidation. Somebody would have bought one of these industries, or they simply would have yeah. closed but down in a Australia here as in the well.
1: past. Not only on the demand side, but there's a problem on the on the labour side as well. And it's your lot that's the problem, according to this. Listen to this, and I say your lot. I mean that in a loving way because money my Australian friends. The labour market remains a core inflationary concern. This is interesting. Aggregate wage outcomes in Australia increasingly disconnected. So wage outcomes in Australia yeah. disconnected from underlying productivity performance, which has been historically weak. The concern is amplified by regulatory reform underway in Australia which will add to our labour costs and reduce our competitiveness of the Australian economy. They are not happy on the costs and the wage deals coming out of Australia.
2: That's absolutely true. I was talking to uh, someone the other day about the wage costs even for waitresses and waiters in restaurants, which is much higher than what it used to be. So if you think about mining jobs, always much higher Yeah. In terms of the pay because of where they're located in re- rural and remote parts of australia
1: better move on we've only gone over by three minutes not bad for us
2: thank you for listening to squawk box europe express
1: for more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me steve sedgwick and karen cho weekdays on cnbc